Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Harm plan the parade route. The Canucks are in a battle for 20th place in the NHL, and I think they're going to get there. 10 wins in their last 12 games. They've won the first two of this uh, mini three-game road trip. Uh, Impressive wins in Dallas on Saturday, followed by a 4-2 win last night in Chicago as we record this on a Monday. Wow, like what is going on here? This team was so close to the promised land, and now here they are. They're Playing really well. Yes, we know the schedule is soft, but 10 wins in their last 12. You've got to take notice, don't you? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll say is this run better translate next season. I swear, if they go on this type of run, worsen their draft pick, and then just blow a flat tire at the start of next season, that's going to be the ultimate FU to fans. It's just better be different this time. I, I really hope so. And you're at the point now, too, where you have to be bottom 11, finish there in the overall standings to literally just be in the lottery for Connor Bedard to have any shot. So if the Canucks at this point pass Ottawa, they will literally have zero chance of, of netting Connor Bedard. And if they finish a slot higher than that, they'll have zero shot at Adam Fantilli as well. So I know Canucks usually aren't lucky in terms of the draft lottery anyway, but Man, they're they're this close to literally having zero odds, and it's it's so interesting because, as you mentioned, they're going on this run. Yeah, they've had goaltending playing really well. The PKs rebounded, but genuinely, you're seeing their play improve uh, as well. It isn't some luck based sort of run that we're that we're watching. I mean, the Dallas game, for example, was one of their. I thought cleanest performances of the season in terms of reducing mistakes and it was against a quality opponent and you have, you know, there's the obvious, obvious stuff, right? In terms of the top guys are all playing at an elite level. When you talk about Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, Demko, but there are a lot of sort of side stories as well with, for example, Tyler Myers is all of a sudden playing the best hockey of his season, especially since the San Jose game. He's been unreal the way he's skating pucks out, making plays in the offensive zone. You can see he's got so much more confidence with him right now. I remember earlier in the season, for most of the year, it would be like a puck gets dumped in the Canucks' end. And for whatever reason, despite having options around him, he'd panic under pressure and just flip pucks out. He just could not make plays anymore. And you're seeing shades of the Myers that was actually pretty effective uh, really effective last season over these last few contests. Dakota Joshua has been excellent. We've seen a couple 
another gorgeous goals from him. One, I believe, in the San Jose game. Um, one against uh, Dallas. Great hands in and around the net. He really looks like a solid find. He's also been contributing on the, contributing on the penalty kill. But yeah, I mean, all I can say is I, I just hope that this translates to next season. Well, like I'm looking at this now as we talk about where they're going to finish and the chance that mathematically they won't even have a shot at Bedard. Buffalo currently sitting in 20th spot. The Canucks are in 23rd. And like I'm just looking at the NHL league standings and just everybody around them and what their form looks like. The Canucks are eight and two in their last ten. You know, St. Louis not bad, six three and one. Everybody else, it's like three and seven. Detroit, the teams above them, uh, Ottawa three six and one, Washington three five and two, Buffalo three five and two. All these teams are kind of trending in the direction you want to be trending at this time of year. If you're not going to be a playoff team, and here the Canucks are at eight and two, they're finally at Bettman's version of five hundred, at least in terms of points percentage. But it's it's just unbelievable. Like you, we understand this is inevitable, but based on the schedule and the way things are going right now, this is inevitable. They're going to finish twentieth. Well, you see what everybody around them is doing. When you look at the schedules of what the teams around them have, you know, and Vancouver's got St. Louis coming up in Calgary, uh, two days off before playing Calgary to end the month. I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't see how it doesn't finish this way. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I also made a mistake. They have to pass Ottawa and uh, Washington because Ottawa has that final sort of bottom 11 slot. So they have an extra point that, uh, that yes. they're behind. Three points behind Washington there, although with with the game in hand. The other interesting thing too is usually around this time of year, late March, you're gearing up for the last you know 10 games or so. This is usually the point where for players on most teams that know that they don't have a shot at the playoffs, it's uh, it becomes more of a, of, of a grind mentally to sort of come to ranks, practice, give it your all, right? You think about why some of these teams, for example, might be starting to slow down. Well, for let's say a team like Ottawa, it's been such a gut punch that they've been sort of trying to claw back into the playoff race for so long. And over the last couple of weeks, they now know for sure that they're out of it. That's that's pretty tough uh, to sort of grapple with emotionally. Same sort of thing for uh, a team like uh, a team like Buffalo, where that can really, when you've been competing that hard and, and trying so desperately to get back into it, once you're actually out, that can have a pretty sort of deflating impact on your group. You think about the veteran teams like Washington and St. Louis. Those guys have done have done their winning in terms of Stanley Cup in the past. They know that they're out of it, so it's like they don't really have much of a motive, uh, motivation, or or incentive. So you you have the teams around them don't have a lot to play for. Whereas with the Canucks, because you have a new coach in the fray here, because there's such an emphasis on trying to hit the ground running for next season, because guys are looking at whether it's the penalty kill, the power play, five and five, everybody has to work their ass off to try and win more minutes, get in the coach's good books, try and show management that they either deserve a contract for next season or trying to just prove their value in uh, in some ways when you consider the guys like DiGiuseppe that come up, all the AHL defensemen. So you just have an environment where the Canucks players on this roster also have a lot more to play for than a lot of these other teams that are sliding around them in, in the standings. Well, you're right. But beyond that, you know, you're also in a situation where like, what more could they do if they wanted to go in the other direction? Right. I mean, when you look at the defense, this team has had to play this weekend alone, right. You've got Aiden McDonough in the lineup. You've got Jack Rathbone in the lineup. Like you can't necessarily look at this and say from a deployment standpoint, this club could be doing something different. Whoever they play, whoever they put in, I mean, everything's been turning out really well because of the environment that you're talking about. Right. And right now it's a, it's an upward trajectory looking ahead to next year versus a downward trajectory. Some of these other teams have, as you say, that, you know, once you realize, ah, this isn't going to work out, the bottom falls out right the Canucks are so much past that stage right now for sure you like like you said there isn't a whole lot else that they could be doing right now other than the goaltending right like you yeah and even Colin Delia played well last night other than the amount they've started Demko and maybe you could talk about player deployment which again becomes difficult for a coach to say okay we're going to ice this line but we're not going to try to win right so 
you know, I think we've all kind of quibbled with those two things, right? How much is the goalie playing and how many minutes are you playing 49 and 43? Um, you know, but like in terms of actually who you could put into a game, I, I don't know that we could quibble with that much, can we? We can, especially because it's not as if like usually when the Canucks would sort of have a late season run, it'd be fueled by somebody who sort of like doesn't really fit into the team's long-term plans anyways. Like I think about in years past, whether it's been a UC Jokinen or Brendan Leipzig or uh, Brandon Sutter sort of, I mean, he he was al- always part of the the plan when he had that contract, but he'd be in the middle of a down year offensively and then right at the end he'd rattle off a bunch of points it'd be somebody like that who'd be fueling this run but in this case it's more legit because it's the top guys who are driving the bus and and honestly it's been a sort of team-wide sort of lift in 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 the performance that they're getting almost everybody has been performing at a better level we haven't even talked about somebody like Connor Garland who all of a sudden has looked so much better under Rick Tockett so Especially when you genuinely are trying to be competitive for next season, right? You go out and make the heroic trade. At that point, you it is actually in this team's best interest that they need to be really good next season. And for that to happen, I do think it's helpful. Not that I think the momentum carries over necessarily or anything, but just to have that initial level of buy-in and the initial level of familiarity with okay, what is Taki going going to expect from us? How does he want us to play? Then in terms of the coaching staff and management, getting as much intel as possible on the personnel who fit in for next season, those things do matter. And and so that's what you, again, just have to hope translates. Yeah, you're right. It's funny, you know, you you talk about that in terms of um, Rick Tockett's message. It's funny, Tockett always talks about Big summers for guys. Remember how Travis Green used to always talk about, I had a meeting with this player you oh, know, we yeah. met before the game. And then all of a sudden that player would turn. And now we're, we're getting that, that sort of um, thing with, with talk it right. That uh, talking about the summer. So you mentioned Garland and I'm going to mention Besser because another player who is doing some pretty good things. I mean, we're actually seeing Brock Besser win races to the puck on the empty net goal the other night against Jamie Ben or Jordy Ben the other, or Jamie Ben, I should say, against Dallas. I mean, not that he's the fastest player, but like we're seeing some signs of life from both of these players who don't, uh, in in both cases, really at various times under talk and haven't necessarily had the best deployment in terms of line mates, right? Besser's in a better spot now than maybe Garland is, but both of these players are pretty are playing pretty well. Both of these players are guys the Canucks are going to look to move this offseason to get into a better salary cap situation. Have they rehabilitated the value of either one of them? Or does any of them do any of them change in terms of what they've shown in terms of what the club wants to do with them for next year? Yeah, I mean, it obviously helps the Canucks' situation. There's no doubt about it. I don't know if uh if it's swung the needle enough to where it drastically sort of changes the uh, the outlook i'm sure it's helpful for another team to sort of look at the flashes of uh, of what either team can uh, of what either player can provide and even for a player like uh, besser so close to scoring again against chicago when you look at the backhand chance that he had in the slot uh, the shot that he had off the post that rang off the bar for Besser, it's got to be, I think, the scoring ability that that especially picks up, hopefully, down um, over these last uh, nine games or so, because he's shown enough with his playmaking. Uh, he's contributed in other parts of the game. It's been the actual goal totals that have sort of been um, been lacking this season. It's it's been that inability to bury chances that uh, that has hurt him for most of this year, and that and that's what teams will want to see is. If we are looking for a high cap hit sort of uh, winger, we want to make sure that this guy is actually a, a sniper, that this guy can actually score uh, a lot of goals. And and so that's where you hope that this momentum can continue down the stretch. With Garland, it's, it's fascinating too, because he has done this in a situation, as you mentioned, where he hasn't really had top six quality line mates. He's been driving the bus on a bottom six line by himself. And, and of course, he's meshed well with Joshua in, in some instances, but he's shown that he can legitimately drive the play. The difference between Besser and Garland is that when it comes to 
let's say there have been a lot of instances this year where because the Canucks don't have a legit third line center, they've had to sort of drop a winger down into a third or fourth line role. And it's like you're playing with Sheldon Dries or, and somebody else who, who, where that player, that winger, the odd man out, all of a sudden it's like you, ha- you have to drive that line on your own. Besser struggled in that type of role because he doesn't have the level of uh, dynamic skill. He doesn't have the level of skating ability. He doesn't skate pucks up the ice. He's the sort of player that needs somebody who can feed him the puck, needs somebody to play off of another high-end line mate. Whereas Garland, it's it's interesting, has been able to pick up and produce a lot more despite not having that help around him. And you can tell that he's clearly the the player that... uh, is able to create a lot of zone entries that is able to retrieve a lot of pucks on the forecheck. And in a situation where you're least expecting it, set a teammate up for a scoring chance. So uh, I like his, um, uh, I, like, I like the fact that he's been able to produce despite, despite not uh, playing with high and line mates, which is important, right? Because when you go to go into next season, let's say you still have a player like Connor Garland on the books you have so many good wingers and you may not and you may end up still being a centerman short that somebody might have to end up playing on a, in a bottom six role where where that you're like to that winger you you hope that they can uh, single-handedly be the best player on that line garland is at least showing that he can help drive a line even if he doesn't have much uh, much to work with maybe they should make garland a center <laughs> That would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, which player is more movable based on what we've seen, based on their contractual status? I mean, you've got Besser who's making a lot more, but less term. Um, you know, and and when we look at the situation with Besser, it's become so public, right? For and and not that it's become ugly or toxic at all, right? I mean, Besser's given you everything he can. Uh, he still clearly likes the players in that room, whether or not we all believe a change is in his best interest or not, or, you know, it's it's been a request. It hasn't necessarily been a demand, if you know what I'm saying, uh, to be moved. And so, you know, when, when you look at it, which, which situation is more salvageable, right? Probably Besser has always kind of been my guess, just because he's got more size to him. There are less question marks about his ability to create inside, right? I, I think Garland. There's a perception of Garland that some teams have where where they look at him and go, "Ooh, he's maybe a bit a bit more of a perimeter player, and can he stand up physically on the inside against um, against the best teams, physical defensemen?" In especially if you're a team that's looking to acquire a guy and 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 you have playoff aspirations. So that's my initial thought, Thought, especially because Garland also has the extra year of term left on his contract. And I think teams typically worry about term a little bit more than they do about Besser's cap, it, for example, being a little bit higher. So that's my initial thought. But we'll see down the stretch. It's, it'll, it'll be interesting as uh, to see how all of this plays out uh, going into the offseason. The, the other sort of main difference between them is Besser can um, can be legitimately useful on the power play, whereas Garland typically doesn't provide nearly as much power play value. So I think that'll be interesting as well for any potential bidder is looking at, okay, how much help do we need at even strength versus do we also need one of these wingers to help on the power play? Yeah, all good points. And, uh, you know, when you certainly look at also what Connor Garland did, on the power play when he was in Arizona before he got here. I mean, there is something there, even though he hasn't necessarily been given those opportunities here in Vancouver. Uh, When we come back, let's uh, talk a little bit about just the top end of Vancouver's lineup, who just continues to produce at an astonishing rate. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
A reminder, I was driven here for my latest episode on the VanCast by my good friends at Key West Ford. Check out the new Mach-E. Harm, I know you're still driving the bus, riding the bus. Tell you one one guy who is not- Way to rub it in. I know. I tell you, the one guy who is driving in style- Number 40 for the Vancouver Canucks, Elias Pedersen, who just continues to roll now just seven points away from 100 on the season, sitting at seventh overall in league standings. Uh, another two goals against Chicago. What more can we say about how this guy's playing right now and how he is absolutely driving the bus? Well, what's most impressive is the fact that we can look at this type of mini tear, look at this type of uh, streak isn't it, isn't it a tear though? Like, can you call this a mini tear? He's uh, been consistent all season long. But that's what I'm saying, right? Like, y- you look at that, and and it doesn't even feel like, oh my god, look at this incredible run that he's on because he's basically played in and around this level for the entire year. You're bang on. It's the consistency that is so impressive about big picture what he's done this season i think somebody on uh on canucks reddit brought up the fact that he has more two-point games this season than he does pointless ones right so that i think is the biggest story out of this is he can have a run like this and we don't even bat an eye yeah no you're right i mean when you look at how he's playing how he's driving how he's making people around him better how you know both he and miller continue to do things on the penalty kill as well when talking one of the first things he said is wanting to get less ice time for these guys but the way they're playing it just becomes so difficult to do when you're a coach trying to win and set a culture, even though, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show that maybe you should be playing him less to put yourself in a better draft position. Um, The way he's playing, it just seems so sustainable, right? Because it's not a run. And, you know, we've seen that we saw the best of him really begin in the second half of last season, right? Especially once Boudreaux arrived. And, And that's just continued all the way through, even when the team was struggling, when Bruce was here before, Pedersen still kept playing at this kind of level. You know, we've seen the downs now ups with JT Miller, but in terms of just consistency from start to finish, um, you know, and, and even with Quinn Hughes, right? Like we can look at Hughes from start to finish and we can say, look, he hasn't had more than two games without a point. And that speaks to his consistency. But I think we have seen a different level in Quinn Hughes's play just in terms of just how much he wants to, like he was quietly registering assists earlier in the year. Now he's got the puck so much more and he's playing a louder game at the offensive end, in my opinion. And I know you can't always quantify that, but he just seems like rookie Quinn Hughes in terms of how much he's carrying the puck versus maybe what he was doing at the start of the season. Pedersen has been this guy from game one to game 71 right now. Like he's been the same guy. For sure. The other thing too is that teams, when they try and pre-scout an opponent, will look at film on, let's say, the top guy on the other team and, and sort of think about, okay, how, how can we slow this guy down? How do we stop him? With Elias Pedersen, the thing that I've really been thinking about is he's able to produces offense in such in so many diverse ways that, that there is no like how do you stop him right there's no obvious solution for how to slow this guy down because he can score off the rush he can jam home rebounds or deflections he can pick a spot with his wrister the other part of it too is that he's legitimately just as dangerous as a playmaker as he is as a shooter so if you're a team trying to defend him and you go into the, with a game plan of let's just do all we can to stop a shot, right? We don't want him to shoot at all. Let's be as aggressive as possible. Let's swarm him all times when he has the puck. Then it, it's like Pedersen's already a step ahead and he goes, all right, if you're going to swarm me, then I know my teammates as a product of that have a lot more time and space. I'm just going to dish the puck to them and I'm an, an, an elite passer. Plus I have this insane vision i'm gonna hit those guys and those guys have been finishing all year when you look at kuzmenko with 35 goals or, or whatever he already has so it becomes a case where it's so difficult to um to stop because there isn't an obvious like one obvious area offensively where Pedersen is exploiting that you think you can figure out and and slow down and so that to me just continues sort of highlights how impressive uh he has been in in producing at this level and really the game plan to stop Lee is better than at this point or not even stopping slowing him down is literally just hoping that his line mates stop finishing which in <laughs> earlier seasons you might have seen here or there where it's like okay 
PD needs a guy who can finish. But now that he's found chemistry with Kuzmenko, it's it, it's like that that's not happening anytime soon either. Well, you're right. And, you know, when you look at just – you talked about just the variety of his game right now. There was a period of time early in the year on the power play where everybody wanted to take away his shot – and you were affecting him on the power play. You were, right? But he was still finding ways to do things five on five. And now when you see how they're using him and just how he's moving around and doing different things on the power play, it's not about the one-timer anymore from the right side. He's able to get so many other things done in that situation that, you know, I think that for me has probably been the biggest thing I've seen in terms of the evolution of his game from the beginning of the year to now is just that part of it, whereas everything else in his game was going early on. Just the, the, the biggest improvement I've seen is just that, just his, the variety of his play on the power play from start to finish. But he was doing so many other things well early on in the year that it, it almost didn't matter that he wasn't necessarily scoring goals specifically on the power play. So many other things were happening well for him. Right. And you go back to Pedersen's, for example, his rookie season, and he had this monster start, especially in the first half. On paper, production was excellent, but we talk about how he's evolved and become a player who can produce in a variety of different ways. He didn't have that in his rookie season. So many of his goals, as as you alluded to, were initially sort of off the one-timer, which later on teams were able to adjust and and say, all right, we're just going to stop this guy from being able to uh, to take one-timers. We're going to cheat over. The other side of it too was, especially 5-on-5, five five, so much of Pedersen's production was contingent on having time and space off the rush and being able to create in transition. And what you saw was in the second half of the season, he had the slowdown. Now, part of it was because he hadn't been through the grind of an 82-game schedule in the NHL. That's always incredibly challenging. And I know that he felt and was sort of frustrated by the fact that physically he didn't think his body was holding up as well as he wanted it to. So that was obviously a big part of it. But the other part of the equation too was that teams started tightening up how they played Vancouver off the rush and Pedersen didn't have many other ways to create offense so it it created problems for him but then you looked at his second season where sure there wasn't a huge uptick in the level of of points that he scored as a sophomore in the 1920 season but what was so impressive was how he evolved and became much more of a multi-dimensional threat to where when the lotto line was put together, now all of a sudden they were creating so much offense, not only off the rush, but off the forecheck. They were able to create havoc for other teams in in that way, create turn, create turnovers and immediately generate scoring chances off of that. We also saw evolution in terms of his power play game. So that I think is is a really critical part of um of of why he's he's been able to maintain such an elite level without any dips uh this uh this season. Yeah, for well, yeah, there's no doubt. And when you you look at him, it's interesting that you talk about that rookie season and how he kind of faded a little bit down the stretch. And we all none of us were surprised by it. And that's not an insult to the player. It's just coming to the NHL as a rookie when you haven't played that length of schedule and the physicality required, it's going to have an effect. And when we asked him about that at the end of the season, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, we talk about the the Pedersen death stare, right? He wasn't having it. Like he wouldn't admit that that had anything to do with his slowdown. But, and you've written about this since, that what happened that offseason? He knew that that was the singular biggest reason why he had a slowdown. Like, you wouldn't admit it to us, but it was pretty clear. And that, and again, that's not an insult on the player, but, you know, he didn't want to give into that. But in the offseason, that's what the biggest thing he addressed was, was getting his body and getting his strength to the point where it needed to be to handle the rigors of a season, right? So, um, you know, and he's certainly done that because we're seeing him now and you can make the case that maybe there's not as much pressure involved. And I think all of that is fair when you look at their schedule. But at the end of the day, you play who's in front of you and you play in the circumstances that are handed to you. And he's playing at an awfully high level. Right. And and his game is getting better down the stretch. There's 11 games to go. You know, he's seven points away from 100 with 11 games to go. Does anybody doubt that he's going to get to 100 points? Be the first since Daniel Sedin to get to 100 points. Nobody doubts that as something that's just a pure inevitability right now. Oh, it's it's a layup, I think, at this point. I mean, knock, knock on wood, let's 
I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, bar, barring injury, like he's not going to slump over 11 games. You can save this receipt right here. He's not going to slump over 11 games where he doesn't get seven more points. Yeah, for sure. If he's healthy, 100%. It would be shocking if he if he didn't get to 100 after that. I I, I hate saying stuff like that because I don't. I feel like I'm going to We're not talking about a it. shutout now. This isn't a goal. Come on. We, we don't have that kind of power. We don't, but I'm also, I don't know. I'm, I'm. I don't know the right word for it, but I, I, it's not superstitious, but with, with these little things, I, I just try and be careful. <laughs> you, neither one of us has that kind of, in, well, you might have that. Kind we of don't have the I, impact. I, I, I know like don't. in a logical way, we definitely don't have any impact on it, but still I've seen too many, too many instances where I don't know. I, I just, I, All right. I, you know. All right. If it happens, blame us. Meanwhile, JT Miller is now point a game player, right? And, you know, we talk about the trials and tribulations. He's always a lightning rod. Part of that is his personality. Part of that is just, you know, his general, you know, body language, all of it. But here he is, 73 points in 82 games so far. Again, playing his best hockey this season later in the year. You know, he did struggle at the start. And what was going to be gauged as success relative to the contract, right? I mean, for me, I didn't expect another 99-point season, but I felt that if he got into the mid-80s, that was value for what his contract was going to require. And I think at the end of the day, that's where he's going to be. And an interesting comment from Miller uh, earlier this week. Now, this is before the two-game road trip, and it was in uh, in IMAX column, and he said, I didn't think I had a bad start in my own end. All my boneheaded mistakes, they weren't really defensive coverage. They were mistakes with the puck, and body language. Those were my mistakes. I take a lot of pride in my own end. I spend more time talking to the D-men about how I break the damn puck out as a three-man unit than I do talking to forwards about making plays. But I do think the defensive focal point now is a little more zoomed in since Rick has been here. Um, so again, you know, he acknowledges there were mistakes, but he he doesn't think that it was a lack of commitment because I think there were some moments where we didn't see him skate back and there were certain situations where he peeled off instead of, you know, chasing the play. And there were some indictments of effort, right? And he's saying, again, all my bonehead mistakes, they weren't really defensive coverage. They were mistakes with the puck and body language, right? To, to that point, like when you're not skating back because you think the empty net goal is inevitable or what have you. Do you see it that way? Well, for starters, I don't think that he's saying that, oh, my work rate was high throughout the throughout that entire stretch and it was never a problem. I think he's more saying that in terms of in my own end specifically when it comes to coverage, tying guys up down low, try, trying your best to, to win battles. I think he's trying to make a point there where it's like most of my mistakes were when I was trying to make crossing passes. Most of my yeah. mistakes were... Uh, when I was, let's say, not putting enough uh, work in on the back check as opposed to strictly in the D zone when the, when the other team is set up off the cycle, am I defending well? I think he's try trying to make that distinction, which I think... So is work on the back check um, code for body language? I think so. 100% yeah. it has to, right? Because it was yeah. it was, it was was part of it where it's like, oh, he, 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 he might turn a puck over or somebody else turns a puck over. And he just doesn't skate back, right? So that's part yeah. of the bad body language, where 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 it relates to not only the back check but the the message that you're sending the rest of the team. I, so yeah, I mean, I think he's there is merit to, to his suggestion that most of it was sort of boneheaded mistakes and with the puck and um, you know this body language, but even with with those sort of factors in mind, the defensive numbers were were really, really rough in the start of the season. So I don't think you can just point at, okay, my puck management wasn't good. My body language wasn't good. So therefore, those were the only issues. I wasn't actually wasn't actually a liability in, uh, in my own end at the start of the season. I think there's a middle ground. I think there's some merit to what he's been saying, but still early on, when you look at all the goals against that he was on the ice for, uh, there it wasn't were all puck management. Issues. It wasn't all turnover yeah. related. Yeah. And I mean, and, and truthfully, since in the last 20 games, there have still been some puck management issues that Thatcher Demko has just made saves on. But like, like it hasn't overall, been nearly like, as prevalent though. It's no, barely no, no, happened. It, it hasn't. 
There's been a couple, but you know, more than anything, I I, I do agree with him probably 65 to 70% yes, of what he's saying. I think that's the that best it was, way to put it. Yeah. The, the, you know, the puck management was the biggest issue, wasn't the only issue, but um, you know, like I said, the, the entire group is playing better defensively. The entire group is more confident that they've got a goaltender who they, who, who can help them when needed. So it, it really does come hat in hand and you've got to give the coach a certain amount of credit for emphasizing certain things, uh, you know, maybe more so than what was happening previously under Bruce. Quinn Hughes, the most impressive thing, Quinn Hughes right now is sixth in the NHL in assists, sitting at 64, um, you know, could climb up into the top four or five. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone's catching uh, McDavid at 79 and, and Kucherov at 74, but, uh, you know, there are some players above him. Uh, in terms of defensemen, Eric Carlson sitting at 68. Hughes is second among defensemen at 64. Will he catch him? I don't know. I don't know how much of a of a priority that is anywhere or something that, that everybody is watching. For me, the most impressive thing is that he hasn't got more than two games without a point, more two consecutive games without a point. Like that, the consistency in what he's been doing. And I said earlier that at the start of the year, you know, he maybe wasn't playing as loud a game, didn't have the puck on his stick as much. You could tell he was dealing with something at the midway point of the year. I think he missed a game along the He missed two games earlier as well. He seems to be getting stronger as the season's progressing. And I, like, I think we're seeing the best of Quinn Hughes right now, the most complete game that we've seen Quinn Hughes play at any time in his career. Is that fair? Absolutely. I also love that. It, what was it around a week ago where he, I, you were sort of asking the the question, uh, the question sort of along these lines about uh, the, the North Sox and whether he's, he sort of feels that he's flown, flown under uh, the radar for the year that mm-hmm. he's having. And I love that he sort of went anybody who's who anybody who thinks I'm a defensive liability hasn't been watching the games because it's true. He struggled, I think, initially in his own end for maybe the first month or so of the season when it clearly looked like he was playing through something when he he was taking a lot of maintenance days, uh, missing a lot of practices. And since like mid-November on, he's been not only elite offensively, but he's really, really shored up uh, the defensive side of uh, of the game. And especially when you look at uh, some of the underlying numbers adjusted for his usage, they've been they've been strong when it comes to suppressing shots uh, against. And you're noticing a player who can create that much offensively, and yet you you don't really worry about his defensive game at all which i think is the mark of uh, of a really really special player and I, I love that he had a comment like that because hopefully it opens for hockey observers outside of vancouver hopefully hopefully it opens their eyes up to go oh maybe we got to start watching this guy's defensive game maybe we, maybe we need to update our previous label of him as oh he's a small guy who can put up a lot of offense but Man, in his sophomore year, he really struggled defensively. So we just haven't updated that reputation of him defensively since. Yeah, you're right. And look, he he has that assumption around him that small means weak. And it just hasn't been that way for him this season, especially after the first month when you can see his health noticeably improve. So, um, you know, I don't know if the club needs to do something more in terms of ma- making sure there's a bit of awareness out there for this guy, because he's right. In those comments, he also knows that a team that's this far out of the playoffs this early in the year, you, none of your players are going to get considered for any level of major award. Right, yeah. Right? I mean, in, in another world, and not that anybody's going to compare with what Connor McDavid's doing this year, but Pedersen should start getting into the conversation for major awards as well. If this team could ever get into the playoff chase, both he and Hughes and, and Demko really should all be a part of those equations. Definitely. I mean, for this team to make the playoffs, they – one or at least one of those guys, probably two, needs to be in at least the conversation. Nobody's saying that they need to necessarily be at a level where you're looking at them as one of the top three candidates. But even on the outskirts of that conversation, absolutely, I think that's what it's uh, going to take. You look at the run that they've had under Talkit, it's been with Pedersen, Hughes, Demko playing at the absolute peak of their uh, of their potential, which we haven't necessarily seen all three of those guys firing and playing at us at a star level at um, at the same time. 
So that's an interesting dynamic to sort of hope uh, translates over uh, to next season. The other thing about the defensive side of Hughes's game is it's funny because I remember having a conversation with him early in the year. He spoke about how when he had his interviews leading up to the NHL draft at the Combine, he said pretty much the first question from every team was surrounding his defensive game. And I think it legitimately annoyed him that when we had this conversation, even at uh, the start of the season, he sort of brought up like, I, I don't like that people judge my defensive game and assume that I'm a liability before they've even watched me. So it's been a, this has been a recurring theme. This isn't just something that he sort of said out of, um, out of nowhere. This is something that's stuck with him since before being drafted as an NHL player. And I think has been a, a drive uh, has been a driving force for him to sort of try and, um, and prove people wrong. So, Athletes, especially the elite ones, try and use any perceived slight against them as uh, as motivation. I think I think the label with Hughes and, and his size and in his defensive game, the the misconceptions, one hundred percent, that's been a fuel that he's used to to become this elite player. Well, athletes generally create and manufacture that motivation. I don't think he's had to manufacture it. I think those questions have legitimately been there. Not that the questions are. Are accurate, but he's right. Like that label is out there, and he's going to have to constantly wear that throughout his career. It doesn't take long, right? I mean, it's not like people looked at Carlson in his heyday and viewed him as this intense physical shutdown defender, right? It was the other things that he did and the overall impact he had on the game that really created just all the positive impressions around his game, right? Like no one viewed him. He, he's not a big guy. He's certainly he's bigger than Quinn Hughes, but he's not necessarily this huge physical. Um, presence, right? It was the other things that he did and just how much he was able to impact the game. And I think that Quinn Hughes absolutely has that same level of ability. Well, it's interesting that uh, that you brought up Carlson because it, even for him, it took him a while to um, to earn that um, reputation. To get past that stereotype. Exactly. Like it, it took a little bit of while. And I think the key for whether it's Pedersen or, or Hughes uh, to really s- start to get um, that level of, of rec- recognition to where they're making waves sort of um, nationally is th- the team just needs to needs to be normal next season. They need to be competitive because this year you think about how many storylines in, in all of these uh, bizarre sort of things, all, all this controversy and constant drama around the Canucks, right? Where you have all the blown leads at, uh, at the start of the season on the opening road trip, which set an NHL uh, record. You look at uh, them getting booed off the ice at the, at the home opener, uh, the constant question marks around Horvat's future, the the constant questions around um, Boudreaux's uh, future, uh, the, the Rachel Dory thing, the, um, the Tanner Pearson injury situation. There, there have just been so many storylines uh, around this Canucks team that... It, there, there hasn't been sort of room left in the conversation to sort of <laughs> highlight a lot of the good yeah. that's happened. I mean, even look at Andre Kuzmenko, right? He scored 35 goals as a first-year player. I don't think people outside of Vancouver are, are are that familiar with how good Kuzmenko has been. Kuzmenko's year has sort of really flown under the radar. So, Yeah, this team hope- has occupied a lot of national conversation for a team that's been this bad. Yeah, and and I think people have been so um, enamored nationally with everything else that's gone wrong that they're just they're they're just nobody's noticed uh, some of the good that's uh, that that's happened, and it's incumbent on the organization to sort of play well next uh, next season, and and that'll go a long way in in helping um, earn recognition for some of these uh, top guys. Let's take a quick break and come back and talk a bit about some of the newcomers to this lineup. So, Harm, let's talk about the shiny new toys first. We'll get into Philip Ronick in a second, but I want to get into the two childhood buddies, Jack Rathbone, Aiden McDonough. And uh, for McDonough, he played in his first game against Chicago. Uh, noticeable for just over 10 minutes of ice time. Uh, you know, just you could tell he was he was trying to take shots. You could tell he was trying to just be active throughout the game and, and not just 
uh, kind of hide. I think it was pretty cool that they let him take the opening face off. You know, he had a lot of people in town and uh, Rathbone got more minutes in this last game than he did in his first game uh, on Saturday, uh, brought into the lineup on an emergency basis after some more injuries to the, to Vancouver's back end, uh, got the goal against Dallas in just over nine minutes, played over 14 minutes in the last game. But let's start with McDonough, small sample size. I know hopefully we get to see him a little bit more, uh, over the course of uh, the next few games here, but what'd you make of his first NHL performance? Yeah, he, uh, he looked raw, but there was promise. So I was um, I was encouraged by what we saw. The biggest thing that stood out was that um, the skating, especially the the sort of speed once he's picked up some strides, looked a lot better than uh, than I thought it would be. Because that's always been the concern that um, scouts have sort of brought up is is how is he going to keep up with uh, with the pace of uh, of NHL play? That's going to be the the biggest learning curve, the biggest question mark in terms of whether he's able to find big uh, league success. And you could tell, sure, he's a little bit slow out of the gate accelerating, but once he picks up steam, he can really move around the ice a lot better than uh, than I thought, which is a great uh, sign. There were two or three examples in that uh, game where he was able to hunt pucks down uh, in a couple of instances in the offensive zone. There was one back check in the second period where I was like, okay, he's really keeping up there with his with his pace. Overall, I thought on the four check he fit in really well, both not only in terms of how he was able to um, to do pace wise, but also some of the reads. He seemed to understand where to position himself to have a shot at uh, at recovering some of those pucks. Of course, around the net, he had a couple of quality chances. I thought in the defensive zone he looked out of place on a, in a couple of instances, which is um, which is understandable, right? For example, on his first shift, he um, he seemed to get crossed up where Pedersen was already in the middle of the defensive zone, high, sort of in and around the puck. McDonough instead of covering the point, sort of jumped into the fray there as well, which uh, he wasn't able to then intercept and strip the puck away. And then his um, the defenseman he was su- su- supposed to be covering, Tenorti just walked straight down and uh, rang a shot off uh, uh, the post. And in the second period, there was another more subtle example where he was covering the point, and then the defenseman he was uh, covering, Seth Jones, he didn't have the puck, and he sort of moved. This is Jones. Jones swooped over from the right point to the left point, and you could tell McDonough wasn't sure of whether he should follow Jones to the left point or whether he, he should just be handing uh, that assignment off to Garland and picking somebody else up. And he was sort of caught in the middle. And um, Yeah, but some know, of that is systems, right? Like you can't necessarily... Sure. Um, you can't necessarily hang that on on a, a tentativeness, right? Just from his overall body of work, just in terms of not knowing the systems as well. And I think that kind of stuff comes... Uh, comes with time. It doesn't take that long to kind of understand how the other players are going to read off you and what the expectation is. Absolutely. I, I like the fact, to your point earlier, he skated well, and I think he wasn't timid, right? Um, he wasn't afraid to engage, whether it was in, you know, defensively, whether it was on the forecheck. He wasn't, he wasn't worried about trying to get involved. Absolutely. And that's where, bang on what you brought in terms of some of these sort of fitting in defensively, knowing what to do, 100%. That's just familiarity. Uh, a lot of it too is going to be pattern recognition, understanding how to make reads at that uh, level, understanding how NHL teams typically operate. So that's where that, that was my biggest question is how much improvement could we see in a relatively quick amount of time in terms of how he looks defensively once he's just more familiar with those reads, with his uh, w- with his systems. There were, for example, there was one instance where he had a couple of chances on um, along the wall to get the puck out where that's not systems related. And he wasn't able to do that where it's like, okay, like uh, it's going to take him some time to learn, learn those details. But of course, this is his first NHL game. I expected those level of hiccups. I think overall he was better and more noticeable than, um, than I expected to be, to be totally honest. And it's just going to take some time for him to learn some of uh, the defensive uh, details. Did we get an update on Pod Colson yesterday? I, I may have missed it because I know that Pod Colson and Kravzov obviously didn't play. Uh, McDonough and Stanika got into the lineup. But uh, what do we know, if anything more, about the Pod Colson injury that he suffered uh, two games ago? It's a good question. I wasn't actually able to uh, – I, I wasn't very active on uh, social media yesterday. So okay. I – and I'd watched the game a couple hours uh, later on, um, on like, just PVRing it. So – 
I honestly didn't catch it, unfortunately. Like in okay, terms well, of, in terms of like if there's been any update. Well, I'm just well. First of all, update for the player, but also I want to see if we're going to see McDonough in the lineup a little bit more, right? I, I'm curious to see if if he just pops right back out right now, depending on what the health of the other players I, are. Kravtsov hasn't really shown us necessarily a ton yet. He's had lots of opportunity. He hasn't necessarily played heavy minutes in any given game, but we've seen him play enough. You know, early on when he came in, we would see those one or two creative flashes every game, but then you just wouldn't notice him at all. So given what he he hasn't necessarily offered to this point, I'd love to see more of McDonough. I've certainly seen everything I need to see from Stanika all season. So I'm not going to... Um, uh, be overly anxious to see him back in the lineup a little bit more. I'd hope they could give McDonough some run here. Absolutely. You're, you're also right in that. I, I hope Stadnik is the, uh, the odd man out uh, based off um, based off merit. I just don't think that there's a lot there with uh, Stadnik in terms of what he's shown to this point. The other side of it too is we know that he hasn't really been able to stick at center. He's more of a winger at this point. The Canucks have such a log jam of wingers, plus he's a thinner guy, right? He's just smaller, so he's not going to, despite his high work rate, win a lot of battles, nor has he been a consistent contributor on the penalty kill. So based off those uh, those attributes, Talkit has, I mean, we've heard, we've heard how many times he's emphasized wall guys. Stanika, I don't think, um, fits that bill. So no. absolutely, I, I'd, I'd hope to see that McDonough can, you know, get some, get some run here, build some more uh, experience. Uh, and and feel more confidence um, in his game. Uh, as far as Jack Rathbone is concerned, um, these two guys, I think they, what do they say? They've been best friends since the first grade. So that was a cool story that they got to play together in McDonough's first game. But Rathbone, back in the lineup, we didn't know if we'd see it this season, but the injury to Breezebog opened up a door for him. Uh, we don't know how serious a couple of the back-end injuries are, both to Burroughs and to... Um, uh, Wolanin, right? Because both of them are out. But, uh, you know, we know that we're not expecting to see Noah Juleson back the rest of the season. But with the other two, we may get him back. So Jack Rathbone, we'll see how much more we get to see of him. But I'll be honest with you, I liked him better in these two games than earlier in the season. Because, look, I had been stumping for him earlier. And when he got to play, he wasn't showing much. But in this structured environment, right, and we use that word a lot, probably too much, uh, I see, you know, like I thought he played a really simple game and tried not to necessarily be overly noticeable against Dallas. I thought he was a little bit more assertive in the time that he got against Chicago. And, you know, I liked what I saw just in terms of his, not only his ability to skate with the puck, but just in his own end, I didn't see him get, you know, mismatched down low, which we saw at times earlier in the year. We saw him make poor reads early in the year. He, he seemed like he was where he needed to be and just overall a more responsible game. Absolutely. He fit in way better than um, than at any point earlier in the season. For me, the key was his skating and the puck moving that he potentially had shown in the AHL finally translated in an NHL environment where earlier in um, in this season, it felt like his passing was off. So even when he'd recover a puck in the defensive zone and it's like, all right, it's time to break out. A lot of his passes I felt early in the year were off the mark. It also felt like he wasn't, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but he, he just wasn't able to create enough space for himself to um, to use his skating to create some level of separation and actually create a, a lot of um, control zone exits, which really stood out in the Blackhawks game especially was how many instances he was able to tape to tape, hit a forward in stride, how many times he was able to skate uh, the puck out of um, a little bit of uh, danger and help the team exit uh, and break out with uh, with control. Finally, that it was like that this, that strength of his game has translated in um, in an NHL environment. Plus, he didn't have any egregious defensive breakdowns. Yeah, I mean he's he's um, he's he's looked good these last couple of games for sure. Another player they need to give, they need to find a way to give some more minutes to these next few games because ultimately his name is going to get mentioned a lot this offseason, right? Because when you look at where they're at, you know, and I think there's really a, a feeling organizationally that the two biggest things this team needs right now are a third line center and a second pair left shot D. And I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden Jack Rathbone next year is a top four defenseman, but I think the organization is going to have to make some decisions on where he is in, in the overall pecking order, because ideally they want to take OEL, who I do not believe is going to get bought out. 
I, like I'm telling you that right now, as of today, I do not believe the organization has plans to buy him out. Now, could that change between now and uh, at some point in the summer? It could, but I do not believe that is in the plans right now from what I've been told. But I think they'd love to get into a situation where they can push OEL down to the th- down to the third pair on the left side. So do you go out and get somebody or do you use one of these other American League hockey, American Hockey League defensemen that we're seeing, you know, in some sort of a role that can essentially buy time for Rathbone to get ready? Otherwise, when you get into conversations this offseason about sweeteners and do we want to move on from um, a Besser or a Garland or a Myers and do we need to offer a Hoaglander or a Rathbone in as sweeteners, you need to give this player some minutes to see where he sits on the overall organizational pecking order. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is I still think that he's at a significant disadvantage in terms of being in the organization's NHL plans for next season because he's an undersized puck mover who can't kill penalties. And it's still a bit of a question mark in his own end. Like now that you have, for example, you've always had Hughes, but a big part of Rathbone's game has always been the offensive side of it, power play ability. With Hronik in, you've already got your second unit power play quarterback as well. If anything, where you really need help is in terms of your your back end is uh, is with penalty killers, and and that's where I th- I just I I think stylistically is still it's going to be a tough fit for him to crack the NHL lineup for next season, especially because you look at Christian Wallanen. In contrast to somebody like Rathbone, and I'd imagine the organization looks at Willannon right now and goes, okay, he is also relatively poised with the puck and can make and can make simple plays uh, to help uh, on the breakout, but he's also bigger. He's also a bit more reliable defensively, and um, and he and he's got more of a steady all around presence, whereas Rathbone still has a lot of defensive question marks. So. Rathbone's still obviously going to be competing with somebody like Willannon. And that's why, you know, I still think it's important for Rathbone to show well down the stretch here because if he's not in your your, um, long-term plans, you can then hope that, as you alluded to, you can maybe use him as a sweetener or or that he has, you can utilize him in some way as as a trade chip. But I still think that, Get, look, look at how look at how many guys got called up before him. Willannon got called up before him. Breezeball got called up before him. I think that in and of itself is uh, is a sign of um, of how low he is. He he kind of is on on the pecking order right now. So I, I, well, I don't maybe even you know. try maybe you try to rebuild. Maybe you try to add some value to him by playing him more now. Right. That, I think that's I think that's the best case scenario because even if he plays well down the stretch. I'd be surprised if that um, radically changes um, the organization's plans for whether they view him as um, as viable full-time NHL option for next season. Yeah, I mean, and for a guy that got a one-way deal, certainly the thought on him at the start of the year was a little different than what it's turned into. Philip Ronick um, playing a lot of minutes, led the team in ice time a couple of games ago. I like what I've seen. I love the way this guy's able to move the puck. 100%. He's had a pretty solid first impression so far. You can tell he's not going to be the mo- most uh, flashy, dynamic player, but he's somebody who just makes a steady, all-around uh, impact. The biggest strength we've seen from him is the passing ability. He's not going to create a lot of zone exits with his feet necessarily carrying the puck out, but man, his passes consistently have been tape to tape, especially through the neutral zone, hitting forwards and stride. stride. Forwards love that. They love defensemen who can hit them consistently with passes so that they can then have more opportunities to rush the puck into the offensive zone, make plays, transition cleanly. You hear about, for example, when the or like great example, when the Oilers were sort of looking for a defenseman leading up uh, into the trade deadline, we heard we all heard Elliot Friedman's re- reports that the Oilers top guys, i.e. McDavid and Drysaddle went to Ken Holland and said, hey, instead of prioritizing a sort of shut down, more defensive defense, we, we want to make sure that whoever we acquire can make tape-to-tape passes, can help on uh, breakouts. Uh, JT Miller, you references uh, his comments in, in IMAX article 
and, and how he spent more time talking to the defenseman about breakouts than he has with the forwards about running plays. I think that speaks to just how how much value the forwards see in defensemen that can help break out, make clean passes on a consistent enough basis. And that's where Horonix shined the most so far, but he's also been really reliable defensively. The way that uh, he's been aggressive in killing plays off uh, off the rush, there's, uh, again, just a sort of steadying all-around um, impact that we've seen from him. Hopefully, he can continue to help out on the penalty kill, which, be, which would be massive for next season. But yeah, he's been... He's been solid so far. And the other context to keep in mind is he's been, especially in the last couple of games here, forced to play the left side, which is very challenging for any defenseman who isn't familiar with that. Plus, he's he's had to play these huge minutes despite having missed quite a few weeks before making his debut. In other words, his conditioning, anytime players missed more than a couple of weeks, their conditioning, it takes some time to get back up to speed, especially in that Chicago game, for example, the second leg of a back-to-back. The fact that he's performed well in this environment where the conditioning and the minutes workload is probably a lot to, to ask for on top of playing playing the, the left side that he's not used to. So it's, it's good stuff, even though when you look at Chicago and San Jose, the competition hasn't um, necessarily been uh, the highest. Before we go, let's get into the Canucks' newest signing, Max Sasson from Western Michigan. He had two years left of eligibility, has bypassed those to sign with Vancouver as a free agent. 42 points, uh, 15 goals, 27 assists in 38 games this year. And it's set up as an amateur tryout agreement, so he doesn't have to come right to Vancouver. He's going to go to Abbotsford, which is uh, certainly the best situation for the organization, as opposed to some of these guys where you basically have got to get to the NHL level right away in order to get them to sign with you. So um, yes, a left shot center, uh, Vancouver obviously needs some organizational depth down the middle. Certainly would have preferred a right shot, uh, you know, given their needs, but a, a player at 22 years of age who's still a ways away from getting to this level. Yeah, free asset. Hey, that's uh, that's always um, a win when you look at his uh, his game. He's fast. I think uh, that's been the 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 standout feature that uh, that people have uh, have highlighted about him. Especially when you look at fast guys at a college level, the ones that are typically undrafted and potential NCAA free agents. It's like. The, the size or the, or the skating. It's usually like pick one. You usually don't get both, which uh, you're getting in Sasson, uh, which uh, is encouraging. I think there's been question marks about, okay, just how much offensive upside does this guy have? Uh, for context, Corey Pronman, our, uh, our prospects um, expert at The Athletic, he does a list every year on college, CHL, and European free agents, sort of ranking where he views them in terms of their potential uh, impact only short and long term. So, for example, Andre Kuzmenko was number one on Pronman's list of um, of those types of free agents, and we've seen him uh, seen the impact that he's had here. Um, Sasson ranked 29th on Pronman's list. There were 18 NCAA guys ahead of him. So, now it is important to keep in mind that I think this year's college free agent class is considered stronger than usual. But you can you can tell that he that he's a good get, but he's not one of the 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 biggest draw so you've got to keep your expectations um in check and his numbers are pretty similar to you think about a guy like mark michaelis who who the connect signed and um didn't really turn out into uh into a whole lot so you've you've obviously just got to keep those um be careful about what you expect from this guy but overall this management group has shown an effectiveness in in, in finding cheap or or basically free talent uh, when you look at uh, obviously Kuzmenko, Joshua, Oman, Willannon, uh, Bear, bringing up Di Giuseppe, giving him an opportunity that he didn't really earn under the Jim Benning administration. So uh, hopefully they've, um, they've they've found something here. It is a little bit disappointing though that um, it's too bad that they uh, are will, sounds like based off Rick Dolly was reporting that uh, that they'll be out on Jake Livingston uh, and Sam Bolinski, the uh, top uh, right shot uh, free agents. Yeah, that is too bad because certainly that's where um, there's going to be some more short-term opportunity than maybe somebody on the left side like Max. Nonetheless, it will be interesting to see how he winds up 
uh, the AHL for the end of the season, but just also how he winds up performing in the AHL playoffs if he gets that opportunity. Uh, once some of these other players get sent back down, injuries notwithstanding. As for us, that is it. We are not done, though. Tomorrow night, Drancer and I are going to do a live room after the Canucks Blues game around about 8.30 Pacific time. So we will send out the links for anybody to log into if they want to take part in that. So we always have a lot of fun with those live rooms. We encourage you to be involved in that. Um, as for us, we're going to be back next Monday with our next episode of the VanCast. If you're looking for other podcast options, a special edition of the Athletic Hockey Show will be published on Saturday on the evolution of fighting in hockey, hosted by Julian McKenzie. And you can also get a new subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar per month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. This offer stands only until the end of this month. You don't want to miss that. VanCast again returns next Monday. For Harm, I'm Farhan. Thanks for logging on. <laughs>